Hey, everybody, and specifically to Lyric Mezzo-Soprano, this is the Legendary Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloor, and as always, I'm joined by Isadora Martin-Dye. Hello. And today's a special episode, because for the second time in my experience on this podcast, Ben is in the room with us. That's me. Ben's Ben. Ben's back, and that's why we shouted out Lyric Mezzo-Soprano, who said she really enjoyed the last time Ben was on. And so, for that reason and that reason alone, that's it. we brought Ben back. That, and he has been nattering about his particular choice of topic, which is the Great Beer Flood, for a while now. Yeah. The great, there are multiple beer floods. This is the one of London. This is the oh. Great Beer Flood of London. This is the this Great is London the great, Beer Flood. The really good one. The best okay. one. The best beer flood. Um, so he is going to tell us about that, which we themed our episode for the week. Yeah, so now we're talking about booze. Yeah. At 9.30 on a Wednesday morning. In Cheers. The <laughs> and the, yeah. Yeah. In the pouring English this rain. This isn't coffee. <laughs> or is it? Um, no. I made it? it. I made it for you this morning, so I know it is. Uh, so, and we have a couple of other shout outs. Today. Yeah, um, I want to thank Hannah for correcting my pronunciation pronunciation of the mountain range in Pennsylvania that I've already forgotten how to pronounce again. Appalachian? No, Allegheny. Allegheny, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said Allegheny. I put an extra G or H or E in there. That's phonetic. And then... And then <laughs> And then Casey, uh, who let, who gave us a bit of a history lesson on the Jewish lending that we talked about yeah. in the sorry Catholic the, Saints, the, the Catholic Saints episode. Yeah. Slight tangent. Yeah. When you walked the Appalachian Trail, didn't you have to like? Didn't you go through the Allegheny Mountains? Yeah, we did. Okay, just yeah. making sure. Yeah. Which is why he was really embarrassed that he yeah. didn't pronounce it properly. I and I said, and which I, is why I really appreciate people pointing out I'm how embarrassed he should barely, be. Two corrections corner. Fa- fairly certain that um, I called it Allegheny the entire time I was in that part of the world as well. So that's embarrassing. But um, yeah, thank. I would have just done that for fun. Thank God. <laughs> so thanks to the three of you for. For, for reaching out. Um, and we interacting. Really we, it. it makes our day when people reach yeah, out. Yeah, and really when they does. correct us, because then we sound less stupid when we when we do these things in real well, life. Well, not really, because we've already put it out there. We've yeah. already sounded stupid. Yeah, but, but at least we're owning our mistakes. Yeah, that's what makes you sound smarter, is accepting that you're probably never right. Yeah, we look, don't... I, if you guys want to engage and correct them as much as possible, <laughs> I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> if Lyric Mezzo-Soprano wants to horrendously nitpick everything that Ben says during this episode, I'm sure he would really appreciate it. I'm going to say things wrong, like alcoholic. <laughs> You're going to put another <laughs> another syllable in where it doesn't exist? Just like Allegheny. Allegheny, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, I think Dora is starting today. I think I am, although I part of mine is going to touch on certainly what Adam's talking about. So I'm talking about absinthe. Yeah. Adam's talking about prohibition. And Ben is talking about death and misery. <laughs> uh, We're doing another like dam bursting episode. Yeah. With I think that's why I think she did the dam bursting last week. And I was like, I just finished. I was like, cause I've been doing a lot of beer history reading yeah. for fun. And I like sort of came, I think it was like, as I was reading that chapter on this, okay. she said it. And I was like, dam bursting. Dam bursting is one of my like big fears. All right. Okay. That's so I'm going to stop. But that's why of, we live three feet from one. I think I'm going to, I'm going to touch on what Adam's going to talk about, and then he'll obviously go into much more depth on it. Yeah. Um, so I am going to start with kind of, so absinthe. My my sources, sciencehistory.org. Read <laughs> sciencehistory.org. That sounds legit. It was legit. It was actually a very good article. Uh, Reader's Digest. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, Allied Market Research. Mm-hmm. Heady. Uh, I wanted to find out some numbers. Ben's going to source a book, I think. So this is a really good week for us. Uh, I know. I think last week. Oh, I should l- I? 
you could. Legitimately just sourced. I think last weekend I legitimately just sourced Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> well, they did do the best thing. And I used Wikipedia a bit this week, but... We always do as a starting off. Yeah. Actually, I started off with the science history one. Oh. Um, and then went back to Wikipedia and filled in any blanks. Cool. So, absinthe. I have sat in a bar in the middle of Antibes and drunk absinthe right next door to where Picasso created some of his most iconic works. Oh, that's a flex. Right. Um, so in theory, I should be really cool. Um, but I'm not because I actually don't like drinking that much and absence was totally lost on me. But now I want to go back and retry it. Now I understand the like history and power of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you a few quotes on from people, famous people that used it. Famous people. Famous people. Uh, we Paul, have tried it. Like We went yeah. to a, an absinthe bar. I'm glad you were listening to me because I literally just said that. Yeah, that's, Sorry, I was thinking it's really warm in here. That story. Can you, can you turn the heat down a little bit? <laughs> that story happened already. Yeah, we already did that story. <laughs> I think um, I was just thinking about because it, it was like they, they had a thousand hats. Oh, they did have a lot and of hats. And you just like, you just went around wearing like weird hats and helmets. I think that like. And then they had an out of tune piano they wanted you to play. I feel like the social stuff surrounding absinthe is actually more influential than the absinthe itself. Which is kind of what we're going to talk about. because oh, We the, also went to the Butthole Museum. I said that. It was right next to the Picasso Museum. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't mention the buttholes. No, no I did not mention that. That's not, this, not it that was podcast. A, it was a part of Picasso's drawing yeah. time where he felt the need to... He lived with the prince of, like, Saint-Tropez mm -hmm. in this castle. Mm -hmm. And he just, like, drew all over the walls. Mm -hmm. And he, like, started drawing, like, goatmen, fawns. Yeah. Like, and goats and, like, all sorts of animals. But, like... He just, he gave them all buttholes. Well, they would have those. But they weren't, like, accurate depictions. <laughs> it was of, just, like, of a fawns, random which circle. Totally they exists. were just, like, doodles with, like, a big dot, like, behind <laughs> its tail. And I was just like... It was very weird. Okay, so, um, Hunter S. Thompson... Yeah. Uh, ...quoted as saying, Let us toast to escapism, to rain on the roof and instant coffee, to unemployment insurance and library cards, to absinthe and good-hearted landlords to music and warm bodies and contraceptives, and to the good life, whatever it is and wherever it happens to be. Just just such a weird list of things to toast He's to. A, well, he is a weirdo, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, I know, but I just kind of liked the good, list. Good imagery. Yeah, rain, he's coffee. A, he's a good writer. Contraception. Yeah, that's important. Um, we like all those things. Yeah. Um, and then my... Probably fam most favorite person of all time, Oscar Wilde, was very famously an absinthe drinker. They're kind of like the same person, just like uh, in different parts of history, I feel like. They were both like on the cutting edge of like literature. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> Oscar Wilde, much gayer than Hunter S. Well, yes. Yes, you don't need <laughs> contraceptives. You don't need contraceptives with what Oscar Wilde was doing. Um, a glass of absinthe is political as anything in the world. And I just totally read that wrong. A glass of absence is as poetical as anything in the world. Poetical? Mm-hmm. What difference is there between a glass of absence and a sunset? Oh. That was Oscar Wilde. I'm now going to give you a quote that I couldn't find who actually said it, but this was the other side of absence mm. that people were saying. Absence makes you crazy and criminal, provokes epilepsy and tuberculosis, has killed thousands of French people. It makes a ferocious beast of a man and a martyr of a woman and a degenerate of the infant. It disorganizes and ruins the family and menaces the future of the country. Well, that's what, just what they talk about when they talk about alcohol. Well, it just seemed like a lot of lot of issues. Someone to really give, didn't like absence. A lot of issues to give just a yep. 
thing. Um, mm. All right. So what is absinthe? I have no idea. Okay. It's green. Absinthe is a botanical spirit mm -hmm. that ranges from 45 to 75% in strength. It is produced using green aniseed, woodworm, which is very important. Wormwood. Not woodworm. Wow, you guys are doing good for me. Okay, wormwood. Wormwood. Fennel. And its flavor can range from sweet to floral and spicy. I didn't realize it's really like gin. I was going to ask if it tasted anything like Jägermeister, because Jägermeister uses aniseed as well, doesn't it? It's very licorice flavor. Okay. I like all of those things. Those all sound very nice. I do not like licorice. I love licorice. Um... It is mistakenly referred to as a liquor, but in fact, it is a, sh a spirit. I don't know what the difference is. Um, it is not traditionally bottled with added sugar. Oh, okay. So uh, it's not traditionally bottled with added sugar, and therefore it's classified as a spirit. Gotcha. Um, it's like vodka, gin, whiskey, yeah. rum, tequila are liquors. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, spirits. And then a liquor would be like Cointreau or like Kahlua okay. or like something where they've gotten it to a certain percentage and then like reflavored it. Okay. Okay. So traditionally, obviously, it's known as the Green Fairy. Mm -hmm. So it's usually a pale green in color. But actually, it can be a lot of different colors. Like uh, there's, uh, I didn't actually end up going into it because it was just a huge list of the different varieties mm -hmm. of um Absinthe? Absinthe, but you can also make it pink with by adding rose hips and things like that. So it's not yeah. got to be green. Okay. Um, Do you know why it is green? Because of the green aniseed that they use. Okay. And we'll get into a little bit of the production. Also, people just color it that color. Okay. That's what I was, yeah. I figured it was artificial. No, it's not supposed to be. Okay. We will get into that. It is not supposed to be artificial. Is this like an absinthe purist thing where you drink it with artificial color? Uh, no, this is a health thing. Oh, it's a health thing. So Was it green because of the copper that they were using? People were adding a lot of bad <laughs> stuff into it to make it green. Okay. Um, so the first recorded evidence of absence consumption is actually in the 18th century, but they there were origins of using aniseed and various wormwoods um, in drinks back as far as ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. Uh, ancient Greece had a wormwood-flavored wine. Mm. So not distilled, but... Similar flavor palette, probably. There is no legal definition for absinthe. Okay. So other liquors and spirits have very regulated things as to what mm. makes a whiskey. I mean, as anyone knows, he's tried to to figure out the difference between scotch whiskey, but they're very legally defined what yeah. you're producing. Um, absinthe is got none of those legalities to it. Therefore, you are at liberty to label a project a product as absinthe without any doesn't mean that you have to have made it in the way that absinthe used to be made. Okay. okay. Um, most modern absinths are produced using a cold mix press. Um, traditionally, it would have been distilled in much the same way as gin. Mm. Um, but cold mix is cheaper, um, but purists say it's inferior. Mm. And it's, it's a similar fashion to kind of flavored vodkas. What they do is they actually take a spirit, like a clear spirit. Yeah and blend it with the essences and the flavorings uh -huh. of of absinthe versus distilling it down like you would gin with the stuff in it. Juniper and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So yeah, and and it's still sold as distilled because as the actual original spirit would have had to have been distilled. So it's just some like legitimate things about because we're going to talk about absinthe and the problems that were associated with it. But it's important to remember that there is no legal definition of what absinthe is. Mm -hmm. So someone's reaction to one thing is not necessarily going to be the same as reaction to another bottle or a different batch okay. because there is no because it's all different. No legal standard as to how it's produced. So. How do you drink it? Because Out of a glass. Not quite so simply. There's a whole ritual associated with that. Put it in a hookah pipe and you smoke it. <laughs> so you get a glass and you pour a shot into the bottom. And then there's specially slotted spoons. Try saying that five times fast. Specially slotted spoons. Specially slotted spoons. Specially slotted spoons. Specially slotted spoons. There you go. Slotted. I, died, I lost it. Such a show off. Um, and you put a piece of sugar, sugar cubishy, on the top and you pour cold water over the top of the sugar, and it dissolves the sugar into the absinthe mm -hmm. below. Because the absinthe tradition is very, very strong. But you mix it with water. So you mix so it's it. Like, it's like pastis. Yeah, it is very similar okay. to pastis. In fact, pastis came so, about because yeah. they banned it. Absinthe. Absinthe. Okay. So you put a shot of absinthe in the bottom, pour the cold water over the top mm -hmm. of the sugar cube. The sugar cube dissolves into um, the... The glass. glass, and it's supposed to create a bloom or blossom, and brings out the subtleties of perfumes that are muted with a neat spirit. Do they um have like a special glass for it as well? Yes. Okay. Um, and this is often referred to as the French method, uh -huh. um, which is how we drunk it. Uh -huh. There's what's known also as the Bohemian method, which involved fire. Um, in what way? <laughs> just, just in general, there was fire. So like around. the French method, a sugar cube is placed on a spot, slotted spoon. The sugar is pre-soaked in alcohol, usually the absinthe, and then set ablaze. The flaming sugar cube is then dropped into the glass, thus igniting the absinthe. Ah. Finally, a shot glass of water is added to douse out the flames. Okay. Um, and this tends to create a much stronger drink. than. Mm. Did you try it any other way or did you just have it the... Did we try flaming it? No. No, I don't think we tried okay. it when. I think it was just pouring water over okay. sugar. Um, we were in France. and That makes sense. Um, it's sometimes known as flaming the green fairy. Mm. Um, and, yeah. The most experienced... Oh. Uh, oh. Absinthiers... Oh. Uh, do not recommend the Bohemian method and consider it a modern gimmick as it can destroy the absence flavor and present a fire hazard due to the actual, like, really high alcohol content yeah. present absence. <laughs> um, so, it derives, the name derives from the, probably, I read like three different versions of where this name derives from, mm -hmm. the Greek word of Amsynthian, which literally means undrinkable. Okay. And that is because Wormwood itself is a... Pretty Isn't... horrific flavor. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but they've been using wormwood in different beverages. <clears throat> yeah, and originally it was considered a a medicinal thing. Mm -hmm. So it was prescribed for menstrual pain, jaundice, anemia, and rheumatism. I and I think it's also like I think it's a bit like hops. Like I think it's antibacterial. Okay. Possibly, yeah. It has antibacterial properties. I don't quote me on that. Well, you're quoting yourself on it. Say, I say with 83% certainty. <laughs> um, so this is where Pliny comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pliny the Elder describes a chariot racing championship where they drunk absentium. Uh, its taste reminding them of glory as it had its bitter side. Mm. 
Bittersweet glory, my favorite kind. So, continued to be used for various films and medicinal things through the 15, 16, 17, 1800s. In 1830, when France began moving south, it began experiencing problems of dysentery and malaria. So they actually started giving an early version of absinthe to soldiers. They had a an allotted amount of it, like, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took to putting it in their wine. So they would get wormwood shots and they would put it in their wine, thus then developing a natural taste for okay. what would become absinthe. Okay. Um, technically not absinthe, mm-hmm. but and it would have its green color even then. Um, so... Uh, Legend dictates absinthe was first patented as a cure-all remedy in Switzerland by a French doctor known as Pierre Ordinaire. Which is a great name. Um, and But, however, they think it was actually being distilled for many years before that by the Henrod family that lived next door to him. And when he died, he left the recipe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sold it to Major Dupied in 1797, who was the world's first absinthe distillery. Okay. Um, they I'm opened. Gonna, a, yeah, I, I did. I did the quick research, and wormwood is antiviral and antifungal. Cool. Not antibacterial. Not antibacterial. But still, does a lot of good so things. Sounds like thirty percent right because I said anti. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they opened a second distillery in France around the turn of the century, eighteen um, hundreds, and throughout the eighteen hundreds, it rapidly grew in popularity, mostly because it was popular with the soldiers and people wanted to be associated with what the soldiers were drinking. It was like actually became a form of patriotic drink. Very French to drink. Yes. Um, And this is where the term happy hour comes from. Oh. Um, Because the drink became so popular that the hour of 5 p.m., the most popular time to consume That's a sex. Became known as the green hour, and it eventually turned into modern-day happy hour and still still remains a French tradition today. That's a sect was when all of the men would go out to the pubs and have their affairs and then go home for tea. Yeah. With... with with their drinks or well, with, with anybody. Oh, great. With anyone, really. <laughs> I don't think that's okay. It's a very French thing. Heather was telling me about it when we were there. Yeah, well. Oh, what? oh, I thought you meant like just like, I thought you meant the people who Heather knew in the village. No, yeah. no, no, no. This was a, uh, I'm not sure what the time period was, but it was like, it was it, imp, like an implied institution that if someone, le- if a man left the house at five, like he was out. Having drinks and and not well, being probably came to his probably life. came from exactly what we're talking yeah. about. So originally, it was considered a fairly middle and upper class drink because there weren't many distilleries, so it was quite expensive, um, and it had an exotic appeal because it was primarily seen to be associated with pushes into India and okay. Algeria and stuff like that because it was the soldier thing. Yeah, because okay. the soldier thing. However, obviously, like anything, as it started to gain in popularity, more distilleries popped up, it got cheaper, um, and more people had access to, to it. it. Um, by 1849, so this is about 50 years after the first distillery opened, um, 26 distilleries, French distilleries, were producing 100 million liters. A year? Yeah. That's a lot of liters. It's a lot of liters. Um it's, this is also when it started to build up its thing for being hallucinogenic. Okay. Mainly because mad genius literary people were drinking it mm-hmm. and they were already a it's, little insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so Manet did a painting called uh, 
the green fairy or the absinthe drinker is what it's called, of a street bum clad in rags and wearing a gnarled top hat in 1859. And it was called a stir because it was rejected from the Salon de Paris. Um, and they were very much like, ooh, alcohol, bad. Um, so mid-1900s, there's becoming this split within the country. Okay. There are some people like Ernest Hemingway who called absinthe opaque, bitter, tum-numbing, brain-warming, stomach-warming, idea-changing liquid alchemy. That's because he was an alcoholic. <laughs> yes. Um, and he says it's supposed to rot your brain, but I don't believe it. It only changes the ideas. So he, there was people like him, and then there were also people who were saying that it had sinister effects. Um, and that... There was a real idea with the national nationalists in France at this point that the French race was degenerating, um, and much of it was to do with the. Go on, say it. <laughs> say the Jews. No, 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 not in this case. Much of it was to do with the consumption of alcohol. Consumption of alcohol, but um, what that led to. Okay, so this is like mid nineteenth century. Late nineteenth. Okay, we were now into like More Jews. We're now into like eighteen sixty seven, eighteen seventies. Um, yeah, so they thought that alcohol was going to cause the French race to collapse, um, and uh, and that it was resulting in. Greater female education. That's a shame. I know. We don't like that. Oh, no. Alcohol's the worst because it allows women to go to school, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, and there's this guy named Magnan who had a, an asylum. Ooh. And he says he's very one of the most famous people. So he came up with a term called absentium, which is... Uh, and, and and with that, you were an absentientius. Absentientist. You say? Is that like a dentist? I, like like I know. I feel like I'm having a stroke. Basically, you're a chronic absentius. Gotcha. Okay. And they, there was an asylum for people like yeah. that. Okay. And he says that those were chronic absinthe users suffered from seizures, violent fits, and bouts of amnesia. And he was the one that started recommending a ban on the Green Devil. He did a whole load of different experiments, but this is experiments in 1880, so they weren't exactly considered very good today. Electrocuted people. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, so they assumed that the active ingredient was thurjone, which is C10H10O, for anyone who's a scientist, and it's the essence of wormwood. And it oh, was so it's like a carbohydroxide? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I don't it know. Is. Yeah. Um, I think. Carbonate hydroxide? Something of We're not biologists. So <laughs> just jumping forward about 100 years later, they, in the 70s, they actually were looking very closely at whether it had, it, they were looking to see whether it had, it's really similar to THC. Okay. So. But THC doesn't make you hallucinate either. No, well, neither does, neither does this stuff. But the whole point was, is they were trying to see what the correlation was between okay the distilled version of Wormwood and THC. Um, Magna did some stuff where he, like, <laughs> vaporized... Uh, Wait, so he took people that were, like, already mentally unstable? No, he like, did unstable? it with guinea pigs. Oh. Oh, okay. And he... Because uh, I always think, like, when I think of, like, the 1800s, like, so you're mentally unstable because of... 
of absence. So what we're going to do is we're going to make your life miserable, but yeah. keep giving you absence. We're going to like torture you with, <laughs> yeah. with, with drugs. But we're not going to take you off the thing that you're here for. No. Um, so no, he, he, he put like alcohol vapor and then this vapor into a cage with guinea pigs. Uh -huh. And he says that the guinea pigs had some massive reactions. Because you vaporized alcohol. Got compared to, well, no, drunk. compared to the alcohol. He okay. did it. Um, but, uh, everyone basically believes that this was highly unlikely and actually the major reasons why people were suffering potentially from toxic effects mm -hmm. of alcohol of it was firstly it's alcohol mm, yeah. and I was say the amnesia just sounds like blacking out yeah and secondly they used to add copper sulfate or chloride mm -hmm. uh, into the drinks to help um, make it green make it greener yeah because there's no regulation on a thing it's going to be very dangerous no but pretty much the most I mean, pretty much it was because it's alcohol. Yeah. There is no evidence to show, and a lot of alcohol was unregulated really mm. at this time. There is really no evidence to show that it's any worse than any other form of alcohol. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's this, is just, like, this is about the same time where like a bunch of different countries put in like beer purity acts. Yes. And prohibition yeah. was coming to the surface yeah. and it was just. Well, like. 70 years later, but... Yeah. Um, it, it, a bit later, someone pointed out that guinea pigs inhaling high doses of distilled wormwood <laughs> and a human human consuming trace amounts of diluted wormwood are not the same thing. No. Um, but Angry drunk guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Horrifying. Wow, those guinea pigs are angry drunks. I can't imagine. Uh, but French had just lost a war at this point, so they saw that as being... Another reason. Another I, reason I that France is... in your head. Yeah. It's like a guinea pig with like a, a vape pen. Of wormwood. <laughs> the full of wormwood. The dab pen. Uh, so they, they started coining it. It was the poisoning of the population. Okay. Um, and. I mean, it doesn't help that it's green. It's just like a perfect storm. Yeah, it was a perfect storm. Um, okay, so, and, and France, someone named Boladeri, Boladeri mm -hmm. said that France is passing through a period of vulgarity. Ooh. Yes. France has always been vulgar. What are they talking I don't, about? Uh, yeah, I don't really understand that. The French one. are crazy. All right. So what actually was the triggering thing? So no. So it was kind of split, like massively, between scientists in air quotes saying that it, it was, was dangerous. It was dangerous, making people insane, all the rest of it, and people drinking it who were like, "This is fab. I'm creating great artwork." Yeah. What happened was in 1905 in the small village of Kamagi, Switzerland, um, there was a triple murder. And Ooh, true crime part yep. of the podcast. Jean Lafray, who was a French-speaking laborer, um, had drunk his way through the previous day, beginning near dawn with a shot of absinthe diluted in water, um, and then another shot of absinthe. At, at lunch and in, diluted. Yeah. At lunch and during his afternoon break from work, he downed six glasses of wine at a nearby vineyard. He then drank another glass of maybe absinthe before leaving work. Heading home, he stopped at a cafe and drank black coffee with brandy in it. And then he went back home where he finished a liter of wine as his wife watched in disgust. She <laughs> Wait, how him, do we have all of this information? This is the bit that came from science, okay. whatever. Sciencehistory.org. Yeah. Uh, she called him lazy. He told her to shut up. Uh, she said, make me. He took a loaded rifle from the wall and shot her through the forehead. Oh, my God. When And this is where it gets really dark. We're laughing. But he then his daughter, Rose, came to investigate. So he shot her, too. Uh, then he went into the next room, walked into his other daughter, Blanche, who was in her crib, and shot her. Baby deaths are the worst. 
This guy sucks. Yeah. Sounds like he was just drunk, though. Well, not yeah. not absinthe. Like so, the fact of the matter is, he was wasted and obviously not very well. Yeah. Um, but he was all the press, um, uh, all the headlines were absinthe murders. Yeah. He's carrying a vape pen with him. Yeah, one would. Um, Early eight to the late eighteen hundreds. So, a petition to outlaw absinthe gathered eighty-two thousand signatures in a couple of days. Okay. And this is before you could just go online and sign a petition. Sign a petition. Click a button. Uh, and and then to sign it. Yeah. So um, everyone just basically said two glasses of plain, pale green liquid explained why he killed his entire family. Mm. Um, obviously, I think that we would know that that is not the case right now and there was a lot more going on, but he was declared, um, he, his lawyers declared him a classic case of absinthe ma- madness. Mm-hmm. So they used this absinthium. The Mardon or whatever his name yeah, was. Yeah, they used his diagnosis yeah, which was definitely totally real as the reason for insanity okay if that makes so this is where it all kind of comes in so they actually continued publicizing this myth that it was okay. the absence because it fit in with their defense theory mm-hmm. um they had another swiss psychiatrist came in and the he said that only Sustained daily corruption by that foul drink could have given him the ferociousness of temper and blind rages that made him shoot his wife for nothing and his two poor children. Um, The prosecution countered that his absence consumption was dwarfed by his intake of all the other alcohol. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of wine. Yeah, the trial lasted a single day and he was found uh, guilty. He was found guilty of killed. Um, and he was actually found guilty on accounts of four accounts of murder because they found out that his wife was pregnant. Oh. He hanged himself three days later. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so, Ugh. within a month, Switzerland had banned absinthe. Okay. And that France was, hadn't yet. No. So, two, 19, 2000. In 2013. <laughs> 1910, Switzerland declared absinthe illegal. It was the first country to do it other than Belgium, which had done it in 1905. Okay. Um, in 19, Belgium had banned it based on the medical stuff of it causing yeah. insanity um, but this was like the catalyst mm. in 1912 the US banned it calling absinthe one of the worst enemies of man and if we can keep the population of the United States from becoming slaves to this demon we will do it so flowery um, in, because absinthe is like illegal in- it's not anymore no oh, okay 19... I just don't think you can really get it and, yeah. like, find it in the States. Yeah. No one's distilling it. 1915, and it's called distilled, which makes it not generally yeah. real absinthe. Or whatever, yeah. More like absinthe-flavored spirits. Um, 1915 was when it was banned from France, mm-hmm. even though it was considered long-term the one of the central points of French culture. Okay. Um... And, and basically it was all, uh, it was also helped along just on a side note by the fact that there had been a big disease through grapes um, in France, which had made the supply quite short. So people were drinking more absinthe, mm. but then when they got the disease under control, people were drinking absinthe and not drinking wine. Mm. So the wine producers. A root rot. Um, yeah. I, I forget it, what it's called, but it's a root rot. Mm-hmm. And they basically had to like, start importing American grapes and using them as the rootstock for all French grapes. Mm. So they, the winemakers, after everyone had moved on to absinthe, were kind of 
not happy about not that. happy about that. So, um, and by they helped encourage that distinction between alcoholism and absenteeism. Okay, Ab- absenteeism. Absenteeism. Yeah, however Something. you pronounce that. Um, so that wine could totally escape uh, the legal like the legal yeah, ramifications yeah. of what was coming in. Um, and also the fact that the people were, who were fighting for it all seemed a little bohemian and nutty. Yeah. Probably wasn't helpful. <laughs> um, so, and and so from 1916, Magnan, Magnanan died, the scientist guy. So he died really quickly after it had been banned. Um, and then kind of, it just weirdly through the wars and stuff faded from memory. Okay. It became like very much its legend versus... People had bigger fish to fry well, than they worrying like, about. Because they banned it, and then why would it still? Why would people still be talking about yeah. it after the podcast? So it just became this like legendary thing. Um, and she did. It. She said the name of the podcast. Yes, and England never banned it. Just as a quick heads up, because uh, you would never ban any alcohol in this country. No, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> no. <laughs> so because of that, because it was Spain also never outlawed it. So there were a few distilleries in Switzerland, Spain. Uh, no, in Spain, still distilling it. One in England, I think, distilling mm. it. And there started to be a pretty good bootlegging trade in it, as particularly in the 70s and 80s, yeah. is that revival of kind of bohemian... Yeah, the uh, transient... 70s, like that culture became more important. In culture. 1994, a Czech distiller began marketing absinthe in the UK, um, which became a hit, hit really, really quickly because of its reputation. Uh, lots of dozy, uh, dozens of copycat brands started to appear. Um, and over the last kind of 30 years, many countries have now started revisiting that ban, particularly since science has now shown that... It's not dangerous. It's no more dangerous than any other liquor. As long as you don't put copper sulfate in it. Yeah. Um, they do, they have uh, mandated in Europe that there isn't allowed to be any more than 10 milligrams per liter of the join in it. Mm. Um, but there wasn't, as far as I can tell, there wasn't even more than that in the traditional yeah. ones that were made. So um, the States allowed it about 15 years ago and oh. it started to come back into the States. Um, and 2005? It was... 2006? The first bottle in France was distilled in 2000. Um, so it was somewhere around there, just later than that, that the US started to distill it. Cool. Um, or be able to import it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there are any US distilleries of it, are. but there are importers of it. Um, and then I guess the last thing to know is that the absinthe market was valued at $34.1 billion in 2018. Mm-hmm. And is estimated to reach forty four point three billion by twenty twenty six. Oh, um, registering one of the largest growths in any form of alcohol. So, so it is. became because of uh, it's like notoriety. So it's already got automatic. Yeah, because I remember in uh, when we were when I was in school, it was like the like for some reason everyone knew. I think because we had seen Moulin Rouge, I think they all drank absinthe in that movie. There's a little green fairy in that Whereas movie. Whereas yeah. Kylie Minogue is the literal green fairy um, in that movie. 
So it was sort of like the yeah, people were like, oh, that must be like the like the, the cool thing. It's like it's not, it's just alcohol. Like mm-hmm. there's always this assumption that like when you're when you're like young and uneducated I'm that you think it like makes you hallucinate. I'm just glad to know that you went to a school where they were like, oh, musicals are the cool thing. No, absinthe, not Moulin Rouge. <laughs> no, but Moulin Rouge, obviously not the cool part of that. Not not the cool thing in that story. <laughs> we all saw Moulin Rouge, so we went out and got some absinthe. But we, that's the thing is absinthe from. still would have been illegal in the States. Up until like up until that, we had a we had a couple of nights where we went out on absinthe nights and extra drinking absinthe. Yeah, because it was still legal. legal. Yeah, so that must have been two thousand and five, kind of. Yeah, I think that, but I do remember like, I, for some reason, I remember the like the news breaking that absinthe was no longer going to be illegal in the states. But like, I don't think anyone was as stoked about it. In America, as they were like everywhere else. Well, like I said, in England, it had never not been legal. Right. Yeah. But like the rest, I want—I don't know, like how the rest of Europe reacted when. I like the idea of a hallucinogenic alcohol. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like that's like the 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 story of it, right? It's like everyone's like, "Well, it'll make you." And it's like it doesn't like at all. <laughs> like, no, it really booze. doesn't. No, it's just booze. I just like I just hate licorice. I love it. I hate I really it. want to try it because um, I really like pastis. Uh, that's really good. Um, oh. it's, I get it. it's like a, and like a, aniseed and like those are very. It's like if you made a liquor out of cilantro. Yeah, like, you either like it or you hate yeah. it. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Uh, uh, Two thousand and seven was when it got lifted in the U.S. Okay, yeah, I, I think I, I was. I, I would have. I would have. I would have been a sophomore in high school. I think in two thousand seven or a freshman. I can't remember. I had a friend. I had a story, but I for, or not a story, a question about absinthe, but then I forgot. So that's great. You'll remember it. Hopefully, it'll ho- hopefully it'll come back to me in the middle of my presentation here. Apparently, even so, in the U.S., um, which I didn't really focus on, because obviously absinthe's mainly it's tied Europe. to France. It's um, but uh, absinthe is permitted, subject to the following restrictions: the product must be. Joni free as per TTB guidelines. The word absence can neither be the brand name nor stand alone on the label. And the packaging cannot project images of hallucinogenic, psychotropic, or mind altering effects. That's dumb and lazy. I thought you were gonna say it was a state by state thing. No. Is when did the did I did I miss the bit like did you talk about the posters at all? No, not really, but I mean like the ad like because that's like were they like advertisements for well the they were like historic like they're Historically, like French, they're a beautiful piece of artwork. The French, um, Henry Privé Livermont's posters are the ones that what Ben's talking about. Oh, those where they look like goddesses in very attractive people drinking a drink that will make you more attractive. Yeah, that's what advertising is. Mm-hmm. They do a good job of it. When I was in high school, they advertised like, Bud Light if, the same way if, that Absinthe. They advertised Absinthe. If I drink Absinthe, I will be in Moulin Rouge. I'll be hot. I'll be Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about Prohibition and George Remus, who was a famous bootlegger in America during Prohibition. Cool. He was a really interesting guy. Because um, no one likes Prohibition. No one liked, like, even like the politicians and legal people thought it was a stupid thing. Yeah. Um, and so what you find is a lot of people who were active bootleggers at the time were immensely popular. Like, they were like folk heroes. Yeah. And George Remus, it's actually uh, rumored that he is the inspiration for um, Great Gatsby, the character. Oh, the cool. He's sort of that, that guy. Um, so we'll talk about that a bit. Um, yeah, because like they, like, 
They like they employed people. Because, Taxation on alcohol has like been like the like a top earner for most yeah. governments for all time. It's, yeah, and when yeah. you eliminate that, and you also eliminate jobs and yeah, so there's a lot of economic consequences for completely banning alcohol. Yeah, um, prohibition was also called the Noble Experiment, um, and it was a legislative amendment that was passed in 1920. My source for this was uh, an article written by Mark Thornton for Cato. Uh, he wrote the article titled, Alcohol Prohibition Was a Failure. Um, so we know what he stands for. Yes, and where I stand as well. I think we're most, most reasonable people would stand on this argument. Uh, the goal of this amendment was to reduce crime and corruption. It had the complete opposite effect. And it was also an attempt to lower the tax burden on Americans because prisons were overflowing yeah. at the time. Um, but what ended up happening was that alcohol usage did drop initially because that's what happens when you make something illegal and yeah. people can't buy it. It will you'll see those numbers initially, but then they the, the usage and the amount of alcohol people were consuming actually skyrocketed at, like very shortly afterward. Um, tax dollars also dropped because, like Ben said, if you're not taxing yeah. alcohol. You're not. They find very creative ways to tax alcohol in all countries. Oh yeah, for like for so much money. Yeah. Um, and so all that money went away, and then they were still paying tax dollars. Were still going to prisons, which were becoming yeah. more and more filled anyway. Uh, it also led to the, and he used this term, the increased use of more dangerous drugs. And I put dangerous drugs in air quotes because it, he included like marijuana and stuff in there. And I think that's just a bit silly. We have like drug uses just increased. Like throughout the country, as a as a result, because people again couldn't buy alcohol. We see this phrase be in the opioid epidemic, yeah. which I'm going to rant on a little bit. Is that we <laughs> prescribe people oxycotton in the states, like for like breaking your toe. Dude, that's all part of the world. Drugs. For like spraining your like spraining your toe, and then you leave the hospital, and then you can't get your prescription anymore because they only supply it to you for like I don't know ninety days. Uh, ninety and, days, and then you're addicted. Three days, and then you're addicted to heroin. So that's what happens. Um, and I don't like it. I'm not a big fan. And prohibition is a big reason why the war on drugs is the way that it is in the states. Um, and oh, you're taking some great leaps today. <laughs> It's absolutely factual and true that, that that there's like a very clear line that you can draw between prohibition and the war on drugs. Anyway, uh, alcohol consumption was already falling in the states before prohibition was put into place. So it seems very silly for it to have become a thing anyway. Yeah. Um, right. So some of the immediate effects, uh, alcohol Usage lowered and then jumped right back up. The amount that people were drinking went up because you sort of had to drink it in secret. And like, so you were yeah. trying to get more of it in you. Um, enforcement resources. Sounds like college. <laughs> yeah. You're in a, some gross basement. Yeah. Drinking as much beer as possible. Um, enforcement resources went up. Uh, initially, the America was spending $4.4 million on enforcing alcohol-related things. And it jumped up to $13.4 million. So, again, tax burden yeah. kept going up. Um, he said, Mark, I quoted him, he said, the decreased consumption of alcohol did not improve society, and even if it had, prohibition has had a long-lasting negative uh, societal effects, including the war on drugs and incarceration rates. Okay. Um, uh, it was known as the Iron Law of Prohibition. Uh, Richard Cohen, who I don't know who that is, but I've written his name down here, um, said that with higher enforcement, what you get is uh, more potent alcohol. So once alcohol was banned, what you were finding was that because it wasn't being enforced by the government, it was less safe. Yeah. Like kind of with the absence. With, with the absence yeah. stuff. You have alcohol that was more potent, 
Mm-hmm. It was com- it was really variable. You didn't really know what you were yeah. drinking. Um, it was adulterated, which is what you find with drugs like on the street as well, um, as well as variance in production and consumption. So it was just like not good. It was less safe. Um, crime and corruption were actually on the rise. And so in that end, to the end of prohibition, uh, bootlegging became incredibly popular and lucrative. Um, and organized crime with a focus on illegal alcohol uh, was, like, the way to make money. Yeah. Even if you were just, like, working, like, it was, like, a part, like a job. People had full-time jobs doing this. Um, so this is where George Remus comes in. He's known as the bootleg king. He and, like, the, I think they're called the Big Savannah Four were the most popular, most successful bootleggers in the country. Okay. Um, he was a Prohibition-era bootlegger and lawyer. He's a German-born American who's... Family immigrated to this country, to not this country, to America in when he was five, like eighteen, like eighty three or something. Yeah. Um, and in eighteen eighty five, he was living in Chicago, uh, and he started working at his family's pharmacy when he was fourteen. Um, and he ended up going to the Chicago School of Pharmacy, where he got his pharma- pharmacological pharma pharmacy certificate at the age of nineteen, and he bought his pharmacolonic. <laughs> No. <laughs> and he bought his family pharmacy uh, two years later when he was 21. Wow. And he actually was incredibly educated. He went to the Illinois College of Law, which later became like uh, DePaul. DePaul's the university. So he's no dumb dumb. No, he's real smart. Um, and he was accepted to the Illinois Bar in 1904. Wow. So he was actually a really, like, he was a practice lawyer, uh, specifically for criminal defense with a specialization in murder. Um, so Helping his, him out for his, late to life. His job was to get murderers off on their sentences. He's actually the person who invented the idea of transitory insanity. So like the temporary insanity defense. Oh, okay. He created that defense. Good for him. In the case of William Cheney Ellis, and I found this article from a, a 1914 article written in the New York Times. Um, the headline says, Ellis tells story of wife's murder. Says he was crazed with jealousy and misery when he committed the deed he followed her to Chicago where she told him she loved another and would not return home. Um, and, and during his case, Ellis said uh, that something snapped in my head. I don't know what happened. I only know I had more misery than I could bear. Um, and so this is where you get the temporary insanity, mm-hmm. uh, transitory insanity defense. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's really interesting. Uh, so by 1920, Remus was making $500,000 a year in 1920s money as a lawyer, which means he was making like six and a half million dollars a year as a lawyer. Highly successful Yes, lawyer. very successful. Um, but with the passing of the 18th Amendment, the Volstead Act, which is prohibition, the legal banning yeah. of, of alcohol in America, uh, Remus found it, memorized it, and he found a loophole where if you owned a pharmacy, uh, you could sell alcohol for medicinal purposes. Uh, okay. So what he would do is, as his pharmacy, he would purchase alcohol from the government, I think, and then he would have his employees steal it from him, and then they would bootleg it uh, in. Um, he oh, okay. Had, he had a big house somewhere where they had like dumb waiters, and it went down to yeah. the basement, like secret drinking rooms. All of like the 1920s prohibition tropes of like secret walls and hidden doors. He was like that guy. He led that Sweet. life. Um, and this made him immensely wealthy. He made $40 million in three years. $40 million. Wasn't he making kind of that? He was already. So. It would have, like, tripled his income, basically. Um, He had big, massive parties. These are the great Gatsby inspiration. Um, And he was really popular in his community. What I found, and I didn't know this, is that he lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is, like, three hours from where I grew up. Um, And also, like... So close. Also, it's... I mean, it it kind of is. It's a straight line, basically. I'm looking at Ohio right now. It's just like a beep. 
Um, and also he had employees like in Kentucky, Tennessee, like, all, yeah. like, uh, he employed more than th- uh, 3000 people. He was like a major, like he's wow. a, he's a business. major employee. Yeah. Um, and he was uh, very kind to children. There was an, an account of him just being like nice to like, to people. Um, so this is what made him very popular. I don't know why the kind to children thing was like, well, most people dicks to children. Uh, I mean, you don't like kids. I'm never a dick to one though. I don't know. I I think no, that like, no I think people use that as like a people use that as a qualifier for nobody some would reason. ever say that I was nice to children. They would never say you were me- outwardly mean to children. No. But they would also not say that I, like I'm like I'm just beyond indifferent. Benign. Children, if they are benign, then yes, <laughs> I am. I am benignly indifferent. He was very generous with his money as well. He always gave away money and things. And when he had parties, there was a story of. All the men left with diamond stick pins, which you would use, I think, to like like a tie bar maybe mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And all of their wives got new cars. And there were like 150 people. Jesus, he, he I just, want to go to his parties. <laughs> he just bought people cars and stuff. Um, but he very, not very quickly, he was very successful for a while doing this. Um, but in 1925, he was eventually arrested uh, for violation of the Volstead Act, and he spent two years in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, um, where he met a man named Franklin Dodge, who was his okay. uh, cellmate, uh, where to whom Remus would confide to him. And yeah. uh, Dodge eventually found out that Remus's current wife, Imogen Holmes, was in charge of all of his money. She was like when he, while he was in prison, or even I okay. think while he was out, she was like her name was on everything, yeah. probably to keep him from being associated with yeah. dollars. Um, the issue with this is that Franklin Dodge was actually an undercover prohibition agent, and when he found out that George Remus's money what was tied t- up, what a what a title was tied up in his wife, he quit his job as a as a federal agent and went and had an affair with Imogen instead because it was more profitable to have an affair with this man's wife than to be a federal agent. <laughs> and that's why enforcement doesn't work. <laughs> and so he uh he starts that is not the lesson I thought that was gonna be <laughs> he, learned. From that. He was like so he's in jail for another 30 years. So he starts having an affair with Imogen and they like are doing everything they can to basically keep him in prison. Okay. Uh they start the divorce proceedings two years later and in this time uh Dodge and Holmes sold off most of his empire. He owns the Fleischmann Distillery. Do you know that? Do you recognize that name at all, Ben? Yeah. Okay. So he oh, that was his distillery. That was Ramus's uh, uh, distillery in America. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I think they do like. I think it's still operational. I'm not sure. Or is Fleischmann's the name of the um, ginger beer that we drink? I don't know. I don't recognize it. So anyway, it's beer. Um, they sold off his empire and. Uh, George was given $100 of his billion-dollar empire. Um, they tried having him deported back to Germany, which didn't work. And yeah. then they uh, they ended up hiring a hitman to kill him for, like, they, they paid the hitman, like, $15,000. But George Remus was so popular that the hitman was worried if he followed through with it that he would be in some deep nonsense. Okay, yeah. And actually then told George, like, what was going on. Wow, no one in this can seem to do their job. I know, everyone's really bad. Um, so on their way to, this is where George sort of becomes like the villain. Yeah. He, on their way to their, their final, the finalization of their divorce, he, um, had his driver chase her car off the road and then shot her in the chest in front of their daughter, uh, just on the side of the road. So now he's going to jail for murder instead of just getting divorced. Um, he ended up defending himself 
in this court case. And again, this is where the transit, he uses his very popular defense, um, the transitory insanity. Okay. Um, and he was acquitted on this, on this. Did he uh, represent himself? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, uh, so he was acquitted of the murder. Um, and they were basically like, well, if you're insane, then go spend some time in prison or like in an asylum. Sorry. Uh, and he was only in the asylum for seven months. And, yeah. And then he was out and about, and that was it. And then he died, like, some time later in Kentucky. Yeah. Like, um, I think he owned a brewery at that point or something. Um, and that's sort of, like, his stuff. Um, what was another interesting sort of factor, or another interesting person in this case is Mabel Walker Wilde Wildebrandt. Wildebeest. Um, and she was... Uh, a, an attorney, not an attorney, yeah, an attorney general in the case against uh, Remus. Um, there are a lot of parallels you can draw between them. They were both very, like, they were both anti-prohibition, and she was just like, I have to, like, uphold the law because that's my job. She was a German immigrant, very, like, dedicated and yeah. stuff. Um, she was also, she was an assistant attorney general between 1921 to 1929, and she was only the only, and she was only the second woman to hold that position uh, so she's also like in the forefront of like women's Good rights and, and, and things um she thought the national prohibition act was stupid but i am dedicated to my job and like i want to do my job well um and so the, there were four things that she did that like even though prohibition was dumb and she thought it was stupid she did some some decent things uh she this was something that i didn't fully understand uh she transferred the enforcement of prohibition from the treasury to the department of justice I'm not sure why the Treasury would ever have had the, the enforcement of that. No, because surely once you remove taxes, yeah. once you make something, I it's, understand the Treasury being in charge of it. Yeah. If it was a taxation issue. And maybe that's why they switched. Maybe that's why she convinced. It had never yeah. been moved after it, it became be illegal. So yeah, that maybe. could be why. Um, well, yeah, because it's like, because it has to do with illegal sales. Mm hmm. And like, un like mm. it's untaxed okay, goods that could being be. sold. That like, makes sense. It's the same reason that. Uh, it's like the same thing that like Al Capone. Yeah. Um, what's that guy's name? Um, I don't know. Truman Capote. No, no. Like the, the, the FBI investigator. Like he was like the oh. treasury department. Oh. Like, uh, oh yeah. Cause that's why they got him on tax evasion. Yeah. Not on, yeah. Not, on not on alcohol. So it's like one of those yeah. things like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like it was like, that it belongs sense. to the treasury department because it's like you're selling illegal goods, like mm -hmm. untaxed illegal goods. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, she also made a push for the punishment of major suppliers instead of people who just owned speakeasies, which I think mm -hmm. made her a little bit more popular, like with average people. Um, she also moved for them to be like dealt with on the federal level instead of the state level, so that you set federal precedent instead okay. of the state the state thing. I thought it was in the long run. Um, and she also made big pushes to improve officer training okay. and uh, impose longer sentences. So like, good things in terms of prohibition, like bad things in terms of like. Legal justice. <laughs> um, the result of her ambition resulted in 39,000 convictions after she closed the, the deal on okay. the, the big force of Savannah and George And how Ramos. many were there beforehand? Or do you not know? I'm not sure, but she 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 moved to prosecute like 42,000 people. Wow. And from that, they, they got 39,000 convictions. Wow. Um, and she has a very inspirational quote here that was in her uh, justice.gov page. Inspire me. Um, Elliot Ness. That's the one. Yeah. They make a beer in Cleveland called the Elliot Ness. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. I just realized why that was funny. There's a, there's a load of breweries out there called like, there's one called the 21st Amendment out of San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, that's the repeal. Of, um... Yeah. Yeah. So she said, um, 
A boy must do the job well and develop a personality. A girl must do the job well and develop a personality. And break down skepticism of her ability, walk the tightrope of sexlessness without loss of her essential charm, and lastly, maintain a cheerful and normal outlook on life and its adjust adjustments in spite of her handicap. Um, so she was the handicap being that she's that a woman. she's a woman. Yeah, <laughs> yep, I feel that. Um, so she was really cool, yeah. and she was instrumental in bringing him to like justice. Cool. Uh, mostly on the murder of his wife. Um, I mean, that's a fair. That's I mean, yeah, we should probably. You should probably whatever, whatever you feel about yeah. whatever you feel about bootlegging. Liquor. Yeah. I think we can agree that killing your wife probably should result in jail. Yeah, not good. I mean, he ended up not going to jail, but she, but she like brought, she was the one who like eventually shut down his whole yeah. like ring, basically. Yeah. Um, and so then I was very interested. I didn't have nearly enough information on her to pad out the rest of my little uh, investigation <laughs> here. So I researched the long lasting effects of prohibition. Okay. Um, I got this from pbs.org. Um, and so the economic expectation of prohibition was that after people stopped buying alcohol, that they would buy other things. Mm -hmm. So they expected that like how clothing and household goods would, would okay. increase, uh, real estate developers and landlords expected neighborhoods to improve. So they thought they'd be making more money on their, off of their tenants okay. because yeah. there wouldn't be slums anymore, yeah. I guess was the, was the idea. And uh, the theaters expected more people to show up and go see like movies and and like support the arts because people weren't drinking anymore. They although were, they were smarter. Although I yeah they they, they, I, they expected like generally people to like be more intelligent. I've never not seen anybody at a theater with a drink. I've like, never. I was just thinking in, that there were bars. Yeah, that's that's the thing is like these theaters sold alcohol and then they could no longer sell alcohol, so yeah. people didn't want to go to the theater anymore. Um, so like it was just people didn't. I don't think people realized how ingrained it was into like the culture they'd obviously never visited england well some of them were probably descendants of english people did you like look into anything about like this like like the 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 political party that was like against prohibition it was legislative and i think it so when they passed the bill um i would guess I didn't actually wasn't the temperance movement like basically this is awful but like housewives who were like my husband comes home drunk and I don't want him to. Anymore. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's also women. like from like the reading I've done recently, like so I don't like just so this is specifically beer related. Like there was like a little hint of racism mm. because like the majority of like America was not known for beer. Like America has yeah. never really been known for beer. Yeah. Um. Like they got like the European descendants like got here in like the 1500s and 1600s and were like. This is a wild land, like it's wooded forest, like there's not really any place for us to like grow barley, like it's going to be really hard for us to mm -hmm. like make a beer. It's a lot, like it's more profitable to like use the space we have if we're going to grow barley to make spirits. Yeah. Um, and then when like German and Irish immigrants started coming over in like the early to mid 1800s, mm -hmm. like breweries started popping up all over the place because like it's like those are countries where breweries are like fundamental to their societal yeah, institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and and like so before prohibition there were something like 7,000 breweries mm. and like after prohibition there were like something like 500. Right. And like that's where you see like this uh like amalgamation of like all of the large American breweries start to like come in full force. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of like I think, like, in the 1930s and 40s, after Prohibition was over, like, 
they made beer. There were no laws against adjuncts. There were no laws against like adding things to like make it stronger, yeah. weaker, more flavorful. And like it got to the point where like you can go to the supermarket and buy a can of beer. And like the only thing on the can like was beer. Yeah. Like there were no ingredients. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. there were no nut there was no percentages. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't any information. It was just like can of beer. Mm. So oh, what does that have to do with racism? Well, like they were like they were they were basically like, oh, like all of these immigrants are coming here. Oh, and gotcha. Money on breweries. Gotcha. Yeah. Um oh, I did I not make that sorry, I thought I made no, that. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> I would you you started and then I was like I was waiting for yeah. for for it and then I didn't notice it happening. I'm not sure. So I thought whenever you say like German and Irish immigrants were coming to this country, no, you just like like you just automatically assume that like <laughs> that like the people who like were like, oh the damn blow ins. The thing like, is the thing is like what I think was happening. So this is like post World War One. Yeah. The world yeah. the world is on an upturn. This is obviously before the Great Depression. So America this is the New Deal. So this is America seeing a great time of like prosperity and I think people were just enjoying themselves. Yeah. So I I'm not sure if like alcohol related crime was on the rise. I sort of didn't get the the sense that it was that there was any reason um uh, but maybe that was a reason. I'm not sure. Um, it could it could have something to do with trying to shut down like immigrant business, but I, I honestly don't know what the sort of yeah. argument for it was. Uh, except that it was supposed to be like a like a cultural improvement. Like I was exercise. trying to figure out like if it was like a conservative like issue, if it was a reform issue. So that's like, the thing is like. I, I, I don't know that I could directly tie it to, like, a political Like, is stance. this Trump's fault? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what, okay, that's what we're getting to. Yeah. No, I would say probably not. Did he incite prohibition? I, let me see. Hold on, let me see really quickly if I can find it. On the steps of the Capitol building. Oh, really fast. Okay, so. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Quick Wikipedia uh, tangent. Uh, the movement was taken up by progressives and the pro the movement was taken up by progressives in the Prohibition, Democratic and Republican parties, and gained a national grassroots base through the Women's Christians Temperance Union. After 1900, it was coordinated by the Anti-Saloon League. Uh, opposition from the beer industry mobilized wet supporters from the wealthy Catholic and German Lutheran communities. But the influence of these groups receded from the 1970, from 1917 following the entry of U.S. into the First World War against Germany. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so everyone. Everyone. Everyone was like, get the, the alcohol. The noble up. experiment. Yeah. Everyone it was, was like, just it like, it was basically like. They were like, blah, 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 I'm, alcohol, bad. I'm almost wondering if like, they were like, we're doing very well now because the economy is like through the roof. Yeah. Like it's right after a war, everyone's happy. Yeah. Can we make it like that much better by cutting out the one like temptress? Yeah, it's just like, of, for me, it's like really weird because like historically like. Which makes so much money. Like, the alcohol industry makes yeah. so much money for the yeah. government. Like, like, beer and wine. Like, I get it if you're like, okay, let's get rid of spirits because, like, it's easy to sort of, like... Abuse spirits. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it takes... It takes, like, a decent amount to, like... Well, that guy drank six glasses of wine for lunch and, and then, then a liter when he got home, so... Yeah, he had a little bit of... Uh, a little, yeah. little, little, little bit of... A little bit of wine rage. I don't know, imagine of, if he had had, like... A, like, a liter of spirits. Of had, absinthe. Like, yeah, like six glasses of absinthe. And Dead. Then, like, <laughs> and then a liter of it when he got home. And his wife was like, you're a lazy jerk. And he would have just been, like, asleep. <laughs> like, she'd still be alive. <laughs> That's I, true. It's, yeah, it's a it's a weird... The like, unusual it, argument for liquor. It's a weird... It's a, it was just a weird time. Uh, everyone was sort of on, the, on board for getting rid of this thing that... Was yeah. making so much money for a lot of people. Um, yeah. 
It's like, well, it's one of like the earliest things taxed. It's one of the earliest things like made. Yeah. Like, it's just weird. All, all society has it. It makes money for every government. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, um, so there it's was like the reason we survived like from the Fertile Crescent. Fertile okay. Crescent. Mesopotamia. Good old, good old two row, six row barley. <laughs> um, good old Groot. So the downturn came as well uh, through losses of jobs, like in, down to like blue collar, like not just people running breweries, like yeah. truck drivers and barrel makers yeah. no longer had careers. Um, All of the cooperages is more growing. Tax revenue uh, actually increased. <laughs> it was it cost eleven billion federal tax dollars to sort of yeah. enforce prohibition. Um, we need more police officers. They're drinking more. And the enforcement was just, it was, I wrote the word scuffed, but it was just like inconsistent because if you were, if you owned a pharmacy, you could buy alcohol and, and sell alcohol for medicinal purposes. So you saw a lot of people buying pharmacies. You saw a lot of people becoming pharmacists. Yeah. Um, and churches were exempt because you could still give wine to, Christ. you could still give wine to your congregation. Like, <laughs> so you saw yeah. like a bunch of people, you saw a bunch of, like the amount of wine that people drank, like went through the roof. Um, and also juice concentrate kits. So there were companies that, that like found out or, or who knew that like the, the way you make wine is you let grapes get old. And so you had companies that made these kits would, would sell them with a cheeky little like thing. It would say like, I'll make sure you don't leave it out in the sun for too long. Cause it could ferment. So you had people who were like making their own wine. Well, like, so home brewing didn't become legal in the U S until like under like president Carter. It was like the 1970s, like mid 1970s. Yeah. Before that, like there were homebrewing stores and it was like, I think like technically you can have all the ingredients for wine or beer yeah. mixed together, yeah. but it's as like you couldn't add yeast. Yeah. As soon as you added yeast to it, like it became an illegal product. Yeah. So they basically have these homebrewing stores and they'd be like, don't go to the store and buy bread yeast. <laughs> like, don't leave this out in the air and make wild beer. Yeah. It's, um. It's it's really because obviously then you are just like big signs that said like not for beer making. <laughs> yeah. human, human beings are generally resourceful. Like if they want to do something, they're gonna do it. Yeah. Like if people want to get drunk and they can't buy wine, they're gonna make their own. No, and it's like it's one of those like accidental inventions, like mm. fire. Like be, it's like you leave like like a you leave a sugary water outside, yeah. and like not only is it going to taste good, make you a bit drunk, but it actually makes the water safe. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can't like you could. People have been making beer accidentally for as long, <laughs> and wine accidentally. For as long as there have been people. Like, they've proven that, like, elephants can, like, sniff out fermenting fruit on trees. Mm -hmm. And, like, they prefer the fermenting fruit. Yeah, because it makes them drunk. Because it makes them drunk. <laughs> so, like, at the end, like, every fall, like, every, like, end of summer, like, August, September, like, you, there's just a bunch of elephants, like, trekking around looking for drunk trees. <laughs> uh yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, there was also an issue in law enforcement. Uh, this was in an attempt to uh, lower corruption. Corruption actually went up because it was more lucrative to take bribes from people like George Remus, or they would even offer you jobs. Yeah. People would just quit their jobs and go work for a bootlegger. Um, and there, the social ramification, like one of the big things was that the laws that were meant to temper the consumption of alcohol actually led to people drinking more, more, yeah. more frequently, stronger alcohol. Um, more often. So people were actually drinking, like the like prohibition only really increased the amount of alcohol. Oh, we tell people, people at weddings, don't tell people, don't tell people if it's going to be a dry wedding. No, because then they Because they will bring their own stuff and they will pregame and they will get much drunker than if you just served alcohol. Yeah, because you, you feel like you have to drink quicker. You only have to do one wedding to know that, oh, one yeah, dry <laughs> wedding to know how bad prohibition you know, I think be. it's weird, like prohibition, like, since prohibition, 
we've like we've made these bootleggers and moonshiners like heroes. Oh yeah, no, like, they 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 were like they were the people floating the American economy because if they hadn't yeah. if they hadn't been employing people. But it's also like this, like death by police suicide. Like, oh yeah, it's like, yeah. It's I like mean, I'm like, gonna Al- go down. It's like outlaws. Well, yeah, Al Capone, Al Capone like thing. died in the street, like yeah. Yeah. riddled with bullets. But this guy like went like killed his wife and yeah. Well, like he, he's 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 lauded as a folk hero because he was like generous and like he like gave out he gave he employed people. Be nice to children, and then no one will mind if you kill your wife. Yeah. Well, I mean, killing not nice to children, husband. Like, so it, just bear that in mind. If killing his wife was the worst thing that he did, uh, well, at least he employed three thousand people yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> All right, tell us about your beer flood because we have refused to hear anything oh, about Jesus, it. My turn. It's only been three hours. <laughs> it has, we have refused. I know. It's five past eleven. <laughs> Mine is like the sh- I, I was Good. like I was like there's three of us. You told me like it should be short. You <laughs> kept asking questions and making the podcast more interesting. Let's talk about let's talk about the prohibition of absinthe. It's like about the prohibition of no. Marijuana. Tell us about beer right. flood because we this have been you've been trying to tell us about it for about weeks. About beer and, a flood. and floods, <laughs> okay, and buildings. I'm falling asleep and dead people. <laughs> you guys are falling asleep already. I feel like I now I have to live up to this. Yeah, okay. it better be good. So as I, as I sort of said, like beer's been around forever. Um, beer has been taxed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, beer in England has been around for. Uh, longer than forever. Well, they say it's been around forever. They there's a bunch of like English recipes that then got sort of like blended down with like German recipes, and then the Romans came, and then they were like, yeah. There's a whole bunch of like really cool, like fascinating folk stories about beer, and at some point I will do like beer and the history of Britain, which will bore Isidore and Adam to sleep. <laughs> Wait, on this podcast? <laughs> uh, just for fun. Oh, okay. Okay. Just for fun. Well, thank God. Thank <laughs> God we can drink um, while we listen. Yeah. Um, but we'll in, in the early 1700s, this type of beer, porter, mm. which is very similar to stout, um, stout was is derived from porter, uh, came up in London basically in like coinciding with the Industrial Revolution. It's what poor people drank. Yeah, so it's specifically named Porter because of the people who drank it. Yeah. It was um it was it was made using a brown malt, which wasn't very effective at making beer, strong beer. Cheaper, wasn't it? And it was cheaper. And then they figured out ha- that if they aged some of it and mixed it with new beer, they like it had like a very it had a much better flavor than just having like <laughs> Than waiting for it to age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like a big part of the Industrial Revolution. Um, being able to move beer and beer ingredients around the country is like, it's it sort of coincides. A little bit like you were talking about the infrastructure of Prohibition. It killed a lot more jobs. Than oh, just yeah, than just, yeah, because you had people driving it around, people yeah. making the barrels. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like they had like specific, like they started doing like specific laws. Like there were beer purity acts. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it came to porter, because people were basically using anything they could to make it brown. Yeah. Or they make any, like they put anything in it to make it stronger. Usually porter is somewhere between like five and seven and a half percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at this point in time, there was like a, it, it was called like the mash ton act, which was like, you were taxed on the size of your brewing vessel. So what you would do is you would brew as much as you could. And then you would like add it to a bigger fermenter. And, like you were only taxed on the size of what it was. So you'd add it to a bigger fermenter and then you just add water to that mm-hmm. to weaken it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was basically like the race to build the biggest mash ton. Okay. Uh, and this is sort of like where the story starts. A mash ton is basically just like a giant 
wine barrel. Yeah. These are all giant wine barrels. Um, uh, da, 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 Porter was the drink of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, he said that. He did that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, so the Mew Brewery, which is the second largest brewery in London, in 1809, it bought the Horseshoe Brewery, which, if you are, if you know anything about England, like right? horses and beer. No. Oh. If you know anything about London, if you know anything about shopping in London with my wife, it's a nightmare. Okay. The Horseshoe Brewery was at the corner of Tottenham Road and Oxford Road. Central shopping district. Is that near where the statue is? No. No, it's like it's it's is it where the, the It's next to Primark. Okay. It's next to the biggest Primark in England. Okay. okay. Like literally. And Top Shop. And Top, and top shop. shop. And like, yeah, it's like it's it's you as soon as you come out of the brewery, it is like as soon as you come out of the underground, like it would be on that corner. Okay. Um, I said, there's now a theater there, like a big old theater. But it basically, the brewery basically like took up the whole block. It must have been the Tottenham Court Road station. Yeah. So further down, it's a little further down than Primark and Oxford Street, uh, like Primark and Top Shop. But my point being, still no. It's like shopping. Primark, then there's like a Costa, and then there's <laughs> and then there's uh. uh Tottenham Road, Oxford Road. Yeah. It's on the corner of Tottenham and Oxford. Yeah. So that's where Oxford turns into New Oxford. For the 85% okay. of our audience who are American, uh, Primark is where you go to buy clothes in this country because they're cheaper than sin. Yeah. You can get a t-shirt for two pounds, which it's, is four and a half dollars. It's very, very... People in third world countries like pay to make them. And it's like ethically yeah. sourced cotton, which is pretty amazing. Is it? Yeah. They're and unethically thing. sourced labor. Their big thing is ethically sourced <laughs> cotton. Okay. And unethically They're sourced They're made labor. in Myanmar. Um, <laughs> we know it's fine there. Porter was the drink of the Industrial Revolution. And they were in. <laughs> so, so in 1809, they bought the, the Horseshoe Brewery, which okay. is it's, 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 it's in the central. It's the and center it's of like, London. And it's like London. the size of a block. It's in central okay. London. It's the size of a block. Um, the Mew Brewery, before they bought, they had built the largest mm. fermenter, so wooden fermenters. Um, like, imagine giant wine barrels. Yeah, yeah, And it was, it had, it filled... So how many stories was it? It's 22 feet high. Holy Lord. So it's two, two and a bit stories high. Yeah. And it's 11 feet wide. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, it's like 2,000 cubic feet on the inside. I think I have, so like 18, and it was, so it was 18,000 imperial barrels. Which is 780,000 US gallons. Oh my God. It's a lot of bathtubs. It's a lot of <laughs> bathtubs. I was trying to like figure out, I think it's like a sixth the size of Shamu's tank. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And this was like, this was one of them. Also, can we talk about how we hate SeaWorld for a second? No, we're not deteriorating. <laughs> we're deteriorating. Not they're, deteriorating. They're, we're learning about this. They're making a bigger tank. Wow. So they're making a bigger tank at SeaWorld for Shamu. Great. Okay. But because they're building a bigger tank, they're no longer allowed to breed orcas. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So anyway. Now, now they're just going to catch them in the okay. wild. Beer flood. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. So big tank. Big old, and this was like one of like a bunch. Like they had a okay. bunch of hogsheads as well, which is uh, 54 imperial gallons. Why is it called a hogshead? I don't know. Okay. Because of Harry Potter. Okay. Um, what? Nothing. <laughs> oh, right. The hogshead was the name of a pub. Damn it. And hogsmeade. Okay. Yeah, okay, so big tank. What happened? Big tank. What? <laughs> oh, so there's a big tank, and um, and there's a man who works at the brewery. His name is Mr. Crick, uh -huh. uh, and he notices that one of the metal bands has slipped 
off of this 18 foot uh, fermenter yeah. and it's fermenting beer. So it's pressurized. So if yeah. you don't know yeah. anything about beer, like it's got carbonation in it, but that carbonation isn't put into it. Like when you put yeast into a sugar water, like it eats sugar. Mm-hmm. And like my, my favorite way of explaining it is like it poops out alcohol, secretes alcohol yeah. and it farts out CO2. Yeah. So like you just got like little Homer Simpsons just like chomping away at sugars, yeah, yeah, sugar molecules, and just like that makes pressure happen. And so, if it's a closed vessel, mm-hmm. it makes pressure happen. Yeah. And and so, what happens is there's not enough room for the CO two to escape, so it pressurizes and it becomes it it lives within yeah. the, which is why when you open a soda or anything like that, that is, yeah, it it keeps it from spoiling. It lets it lets the alcohol live longer. Yeah. It uh, the CO two the yeast um, eats up oxygen, so the beer doesn't oxygenate yeah. aging it. And the CO2 keeps the beer fresh longer. Yeah. Cool. You're welcome. Um, I can't wait for the next time I drink a beer to only be thinking about that. Just farting and pooping? So the, ba- okay. so the band slipped off of the... So uh, the band slipped off. So the Horseshoe Brewery is in St. Giles, and it's a rookery. Have you ever heard of a rookery? Like a place where they keep rooks? That's what I thought. No. So it's like, it's 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 a fancy name for a, like an absolute S-hole slum. Oh, okay. it's, like a section, it's like Section 8 housing. It's like worse. Okay. It's like it's like 1800s. Victorian. It's like yeah. Victorian. So like yeah, people, <laughs> like people are like going to the bathroom in the street. Yeah, like and like they're like you know it's like there's a four story house and like there's like two families in the yeah. basement. It's like four okay. families on each yeah. floor. Like it's an absolute mess. Um, and so, so like it's just in it like it's just in a nasty part. Of, I guess at this time it was not a it was not a lovely part of town or yeah. either that like this is sort of like behind the main streets. Yeah, yeah. So like it's it's there. Now behind so, the main streets is a great place for brunch. Yes. Carry on. <laughs> so Mr. Crick uh notices the band has slipped. Uh this is on the 17th of October 1814. Yep. Um he informs his boss. This is something that happens like a few times a year. Like it's no big deal. You usually yeah. have enough like steel bands around yeah. the barrel to hold it in place. Um, and so his boss is like, yeah, like we'll tell a Cooper and like a Cooper, somebody who builds and fixes barrels will yeah. like show up and like, yeah. they'll just hammer this, they'll, they'll hammer the steel band into place. Um, it's got a, a 12 foot diameter. So I don't know how, uh, what is the, it's, it's got a 5.5 foot radius. Okay. So how big is that around? I don't know. Uh, 5.5 times 3.14. Isn't it like, so it's like, okay. I'm not sure. 5.9. Sure. Yeah. Sure, whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's been We're known for accuracy. You guys are being real jerks. <laughs> We're known for accuracy. You guys are just like, okay, whatever, we hate this. No, no, no. the story no, is no. interesting. The math is not no, interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. Story's interesting. We're trying to You're doing a topic. good job. Mr. Crick informs this person. Okay, so the boss is like, yeah, yeah, we'll fix it. Which is like a totally normal thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not... They're unlike... not worried that this is going to explode. No. Or, like, no, fall no. apart. No. Um. So... An hour after the hoop falls off, so this is like 4.30, um, there's no indication that this thing's going to burst, and it yeah. just out of nowhere explodes. Oh, okay. Like, it explodes. Um, oh, it didn't, like, dribble leak and, like, the, it down. No, like, the barrel exploded. No, 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 yeah. So, it exploded. It blew up, like, a bunch of other vats. It knocked other vats over. Wow. Like, there was, there was a, it, the 20, the back wall of the brewery is 25 feet high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With... Like, it's two and a half bricks thick, mm-hmm. so it's, like, ten inches thick. And, like, it didn't just knock the wall over. Like, it blew the wall wow. up. 
cool. And like bricks are like, they find bricks on roofs oh of God. like buildings. Cool. So there's a 15 foot tidal wave of beer. From one barrel or did all of the barrels all in there? Of okay. Okay. And I will get, I'll get into that. It's, um. Well, I'm assuming if they destroyed a wall, they probably yeah. took it. So it's like, so it is, it's like 1814. Yeah. So it's like between 128 and 323 Imperial gallons were released. Okay. So that's like a big difference. Like, yeah. It's either a third or all of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, so let's just say like, let's say the ma like Imperial gallons. Let a me whole do load the, of like, shamu tanks. <laughs> so many bathtubs. Yeah. Um, 300, so almost 400,000 US gallons. Yeah. So, like okay. are flooding down London. the street, like ex exploded. Two houses are destroyed. Um, oh my God! Two like immediately? houses are, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, like two houses are badly so damaged. Does this do a bunch of damage to the rookery? Is that what you're like? Yeah. So like the rookery is in. So like a wave of porter happens. Um, it, it swims into the back into New Street. Two houses are like destroyed. Two houses yeah. are badly damaged. Um, one of the houses there is a mother and two four-year-old girls having tea. One of the four-year-old girls dies in the mm. flood, and the mother and the other girl were hospitalized. Yeah, wow. Um, this is where it gets so dark. Um, uh, yeah, so the, the daughter, Hannah, was killed. In, uh, in the second destroyed house, a wake was being held for a two-year-old boy. Oh. Yeah. It was 1814. And it was 1814. Yeah. So Anne Seville, the boy's mother, and four other mourners, mother uh, Mary Mulvey and her three-year-old son, Elizabeth Smith and Caf Catherine Butler were all killed. Jeez. Um, a f so there's a, like another bar, like a few like houses down. Yeah. That entire building gets destroyed uh, and they find one girl in the rubble, the other like five or six barmaid, like 14-year-old barmaid is like killed under the rubble of a building. Um, yeah, she's washing pots in the pub's yard and was buried under the brewery's collapsed wall. Um, another child, Sarah Bates, was found dead in another house. And the land around the building, uh, this is all like low lying and flat, mm -hmm. like we've been there. Yeah. Um, has insufficient drainage. The beer flowed into cellars, and many people had to like climb onto their furniture. So, like, they didn't drown in like the beer that's in their right. house. Um, all those in the brewery survived. What? People were taken to the hospital. Um, there's stories later about like everybody just collecting the beer. Oh. Well, everybody yeah, I can kind of imagine out. that. Ugh. And just like collecting beer. Um, With all the debris from the houses that it took yeah, out. We've talked there was, about There was floods. mass drunkenness and a death from alcohol poisoning a few days later. So somebody like literally drank themselves to death on road beer. On death beer. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. um, English people are gross. Um, how long was it like sitting around in London? Like how long was it just out? They they talk about it like smelling like just disgusting beer malt yeastiness for weeks. Okay. Um, but then London had like some great fire or a plague or a something. A lot of things happened yeah. in London. A smog. Yeah, London wasn't doing great. Um, the time. scene was described as a scene of desolation that presents a most awful and terrific appearance equal to that which fire or earthquake may be supposed to occasion. Oh my lord. Um, this is where it becomes like proper Victorian. This is like, this is sort of like my yeah. favorite bit is that watchmen at the brewery charge people to come and see the destroyed brewery. Oh yeah, that's totally Victorian. <laughs> Families of the deceased put their bodies out on their front lawn and charge people to view the dead bodies. Yep, yep. 
Um, collections were taken up for the families and things like that. But yeah, generally, so like, so eight people died, maybe nine because of that, like the the drunkenness. Yeah. Um, all of them from the age of sort of like three to sixty-five. Wow. Well, floods we've already discussed are indiscriminatory, whether they're beer or flooding. Or water. <laughs> yep. Uh, there was a coroner's inquest. They tried to take them to court. They tried to take in the, the, the Mew Brewery and the basically for neglect. Yeah. Negligence. Did it work? Um, I assume not. It's Victorian London. They actually took the, the jurors to the scenes. Oh, good. And to see the dead bodies. Um, George Crick, who was the man who said this is sort of broken off. He gave testimony um, that like that these hoops fail, but but it's like a regular thing and nothing like yeah. this ever happened before. Um, and the jury returned a verdict that the eight had lost their lives casually, accidentally, and by misfortune. Casually. So basically like an act of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. So it does slightly sound like that, to so be fair. View like... and co, they didn't have to pay any compensation. Um... In, in damages, they lost 23,000 pounds, which is okay. the equivalent today of like 1.8 million pounds. Of their beer flooding. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then they made a private petition to Parliament. They recovered a third of that back. Oh. Wow. So they got like... They seven, got compensation. They got compensation so that they didn't go bankrupt. Very cool. Okay. So the rich getting richer. Very epic. Very, yeah. Um, Probably about that. Yeah. So basically like as a result of the great beer flood... They they slowly phased out wooden like large yeah. wooden barrels and started replacing them with steel. That's a very okay. cool story. I'm um, glad you. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that's insane. I'm very and glad you shared that with us. And horrifying. And I'm glad we waited for it. And it that was, was quick. It. it was worth it. It that was totally worth it. It was worth it. Was it. It was good because we've been telling. He's been wanting to tell us details of it for weeks, and we keep yeah. saying, "No, you got to do it on the podcast." Our no, no, reactions no. are. Oh, so I first yeah. read it in Randy Mosher's book Radical Brewing. Okay. Sorry, these are my sources, and then most of that just came from Wikipedia, and then there's a bunch on like uh, history-uk.co.uk. Okay. Like, because it's quite like it's one of those things. Like, I think there's like a blue plaque where it's like what whatever the theater is yeah. now. Mm. Like, it's like this is the the space yeah. of the. But yeah, I, like the crazy bit is, is just like how big these breweries were. That's you think a huge about, amount. Yeah, of eighteen liquid. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I think, yeah. I think the, they made. I think they're. Let me just. I know that it's on here somewhere. But like they made. Um, a hundred. Like so, their best year, they made a hundred and two thousand imperial barrels. Wow. Which is four point four million U.S. gallons. Wow. So like they like they were like it was a proper industrialized yeah. system. Yeah. yeah. Like they had it going. People was drinking beer. They were. Wow. Um, well, we as we've established, people like to drink in this episode. And there are yeah. other stories of like big beer floods. Of beer, of beer, beer floods. Like I think it says like see also like there's a Pepsi fruit juice flood. Ugh. Oh, maybe we'll have to do that. That sounds no, gross. In that's Russia, horrible. nobody died. I already looked it up. Oh, okay. Ugh. Ugh, I think it's I think it's more like the like economic effect that has on yeah an area happened in Russia so they probably just said no ecological uh, nothing bad happened yeah nothing bad happened <laughs> um, all right guys thank you so much for listening uh, to our extra special thank you three for part episode you're welcome and we like having you on I will be getting because it's short <laughs> no because it's fun it gives it means us we a have different... to do less research no we just no, have no. a longer episode you guys did it a... I, was, I was not falling asleep but I was like wow I did not I was spent yours being like I don't have this mine happened over the course of like 48 hours <laughs> There's hey, some not... well the flood it's some stuff. It's nice when you're doing a topic like the flood that reaches a literal crescendo. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. It's always, that's a nice way to do it. Yes. All right, guys, we have no idea what we're doing next week. Haven't even thought about it. Nope. So see you next time. Do, I'm going to do the entire history of beer next week. Uh-huh. Uh, Don't tune in for that. And all of the math. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you, as always. Rate, subscribe, all the rest of it. Um, Correct us. Oh, the history of math. That'd be good. Oh, God. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> the history of math. <laughs>